Matthew 27, 22. Pontius Pilate, from his lips, came this question that I'm convinced is the most important question ever asked. In the Bible or out of the Bible? What will you do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? I'm convinced that this is the most important question because your answer and my answer to this question determines whether you're lost or saved. Go to heaven or hell. Succeed or fail. There is so much that hangs on your answer and mine to this question. Hear me tonight. You answer this question right, I answer it right. Everything else in your life and mine will turn out all right if everything is all right with Jesus. But if it isn't all right with Jesus, nothing goes right until you're right with him. Everything goes wrong. I don't care how hard you try, how much money you've got, what kind of car you drive, what kind of clothes you wear, grades you make in school, young person. Nothing goes right until you're right with him. Now listen, the question, what must I do to be saved, you answer that question right, and that gets you saved. But what will you do with Jesus, you answer that question right, and that keeps you saved. You get saved and you keep saved with what will you do with Jesus. And this question, what will you do with Jesus, is about the most important man ever to walk the face of the earth. How many of you believe that? Listen, uh, uh, and this is important. He did not say here, what will you do with the denomination? What will you do with the assemblies of God? What will you do with a pastor or an evangelist? But the question is, what will you do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? He is real. How many of you believe that? He's more real than I am. You can look up and you can see me tonight. And with the eyes of the Spirit of God, we can look up and we can see Jesus. And this question, what will you do with Jesus, is about the most extraordinary man ever to walk the face of the earth. Now get this, when he was born, at his birth, he was older than his own mother. Now think about that. A baby that at his birth was older than his own mother, but this is true. Jesus was older than Mary when she gave birth to him. And he was back there in the beginning of time... And with his hands who created the universe. In John the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him. And without him, not anything was made. In him was a life, and the life was a light of men. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld the glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This Jesus One day way back in the beginning of time, standing on the rim of the universe, he reached forth with the torch of his omnipotence, he sat ablaze the sun, and it hasn't gone out since. He hung the moon in his place. He put so many stars in the sky that astronomers still haven't got them all counted. That he carved out valleys and piled up mountains, created oceans and seas, and set rivers and streams hunting them. This Jesus as the crown of his creation. He made man out of dirt, out of clay, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul, and God looked at it, Jesus looked at it, and said, it is good. Oh, but it wasn't good for very long. Because sin, that satanic ambassador from the kingdom of darkness, was soon knocking at the door of man's heart. And Adam and Eve fell. And the wage of sin is death. But God's only son, Jesus Christ, looked down at a group of us people here on the earth. Pastor, we couldn't even pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And Jesus said, Father, I want to go down there and pay their debt. I want to go down there and pay their debt of death. 
and the one that could speak worlds into existence. One day about 2,000 years ago, got into his jewel chariot, rode down the streets of gold, through the pearly white gates, across the stairway of the stars... And as the morning stars chanted their praises and the escorting angels, uh, angels cried out, the creator of the universe stepped out of his jeweled chariot, laid aside his kingly robes and took upon himself the robes of sinful flesh. The brightest star put on its whitest robe. It ran across the sky to point a finger at Bethlehem's babe and to say to the whole wide world, here he is, here he is. God's greatest man, man's greatest God, and the only perfect man ever to walk the face of the earth. That's the Jesus I'm preaching about tonight. He is the one in whom the prophet Isaiah said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Again, his name shall be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The prophets talked about him. But there's one thing that may have never dawned on you. That is that of all the Old Testament prophets that referred to Jesus, not one of them called him the Son of God. They called him the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer. It wasn't until the baptism of Jesus that the heavens opened and the voice of God thundered. For the first time, the public declaration was made. God said, this is my Beloved son. That's the first time that anybody really knew who he was. Now listen. This is the Jesus that is asking you. And that is asking me. What will you do with him? What will you do with his word? What will you do with his warnings? What will you do with his invitations? What will you do with this church? What will you do with the flowing of his Holy Ghost? Jesus deserves an answer. And he demands one too. And he has paid the price to deserve it and demand it. Amen? This is for every pastor, every evangelist, all of God's people, as well as the unsaved. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with him? Jesus said, he that is not for me is against me. He that gathers not unto me scatters abroad. Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, what will you do with Jesus? The very man that asked this question, Pilate, he answered it wrong. Pilate was asking the Jews, what will you do with this Jesus? He thought it could be neutral. Play both sides of the fence. Be the politician. Hear me, nobody is neutral with Jesus. Nobody is neutral. You're either for him or you're against him. You've either sold out to him or you haven't. You're either hot or you're cold. Now watch this. Pontius Pilate had Jesus on trial. But while Pilate had Jesus on trial, God had Pilate on trial. And what Pilate did with Jesus was going to determine what God did with Pilate. Now let's turn it around. You're confronted with the same question tonight in this sanctuary. What will you do with Jesus? And while you're trying to make up your mind, am I going to sell out? Am I going to give him my all? Am I, am I going to burn my bridges? Am I, gonna get, am I going to flow into everything that God has for me to flow in? And you'll find out in a moment whether or not you really have. Because you're going to find out that it takes a whole lot more than just saying it with your lips. But while you have Jesus on trial, God has you on trial. 
And what you do with Jesus is going to determine what God does with you. Now, who else made the wrong decision? The people that Pilate asked this question of, the Jews. Pilate was asking the Jews, what will you do with Jesus? They said, it translates, let his blood be on our heads. Let his blood be on our heads. Now, on their heads wouldn't do them any good. If the Jews would have cried out for Jesus' blood on their hearts, he could have washed their dirty sins away. But that's not what they wanted. And the Bible says they cried out, let his blood be on our heads. And it wasn't long after that until the whole nation of Israel was scattered into the four corners of the, of the earth. They became a hunted and a hated nation, looked upon with suspicion as a result of their decision. They made the wrong decision. Hear me tonight. Look right here. You pay for it when you make the wrong decision. Are you getting my point, young man? Young girl, are you getting my point, mister, lady? When you make the right decision and when you make the wrong decision, everything else in your life, even a nation and government, can all be affected as a result of one decision. Now, I want us to look at one other person tonight. That is Judas Iscariot. Why do I, why do I mention Judas? Not, not only because I want you to see beyond Judas and see Jesus, Not only because I want you to see beyond any pastor or any evangelist or any Christian leader that has let you down and see Jesus, but I want you tonight, I want you to look at Judas as a man that was chosen, handpicked. Jesus, now, and Jesus doesn't make mistakes. He spent all night praying when he chose the 12 disciples. Judas was chosen after an all-night prayer meeting wasn't he? He was with the Lord. He, he walked with them, talked with them, prayed with them, ate with them. Judas probably heard every sermon that Jesus ever preached. He probably went to church every time the doors were open. Am I hidden home? And yet, when the chips were down and the decision was there, Judas made the wrong decision. He was so trusted that Jesus made Judas the treasure of the disciples. But something happened to Judas. Satan came into his heart. And Judas Iscariot sold out to sin, to self, to Satan. He sold out. I want you to read it with me in your own Bible. Flip back one page from our text to Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Here's what it says. Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went into the chief priest and said unto them. Now look at this with me. Went into the chief priest and said unto them, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they coveted with him for 30 pieces of silver, and from that time he saw an opportunity to betray him. Judah said, What will you give me, and I will deliver Jesus to you? He wanted to sell out Jesus. He wanted to get what he could out of him. The love, listen, the love and the lust for money. The glitter of gold, the clank of silver, this desire for material possessions is what got to Judas. That was his downfall. And Judas Iscariot bargained with the devil's crowd for 30 pieces of silver and betrayed our Lord and Savior. Now listen, we may condemn him. Call him a scoundrel. Call him a rascal. Call him a reprobate. But before you call him anything, you and I may examine and find that we today have more of Judas's blood in ways than us than we're willing to admit. 
How many people have sold out Jesus with our time? Listen, how many people in the church have chosen a ball game or a party or something of this world, a television program, over being in the house of God? How many people have chosen a movie house over God's house? How many people have sold out their time? We say we don't have time to read the Bible. Then we'll sit down and flip through a 50-page newspaper. We say we don't have time to get into the book. And then we'll sit down and spend two hours on Facebook. We know more about Hollywood than we know about heaven. I know people in the church that can name you 12 ballplayers, 12 TV stars, 12 movie stars, and the same people can't name you the 12 disciples. Some Y'all quit shouting so much, I'm going to lose my place here. Some people you'd think they were going to die and go to Hollywood. Amen? In the selling of our time and the selling of our talent. What about some of these people that God called them to preach? But they're not preaching now. They're selling insurance. They're not preaching. They got an executive job. They're doing something worldly. And most of the time, it's because there's more money doing that. The glitter of gold, the clank of silver. What about, what about the Oak Ridge boys? I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes here. But listen, what about the, they started out singing for Jesus. I mean, many years ago, my dad had a revival outside of Memphis, Tennessee, a tent revival. Had the Oak Ridge boys come be a special guest. He paid them $175, come sing for Jesus. You can't touch them now for less than $50,000 or more. What about the Gatlin brothers? Started out singing for Jesus. They were on the Tonight Show. And they, and, and they were asked, why aren't you singing Christian music anymore? And their lead singer said, because there's not any money in that. That is disturbing. But when you get in the ministry, you've got to forget about the pay. And the pay may not be, and it isn't that good on the world standards. But hear me tonight, the friend's benefits are out of this world. They're out of this world. There's something better than gold and silver and material possessions. What will you give me? And I will deliver Jesus to you. I'm going to zero in on one more area tonight, and that is the money part. The love and the lust for money. You may say, well, Brother Todd, I don't have a love and a lust for money. Thank God if you don't. But look at me. If you're sitting here tonight and you have a love and a lust for material possessions that money can buy, that's the same thing as a love and a lust for money. And there are many people in the church today that are never satisfied with what they have. And they've always got to have something better. Better house, better car, better clothes, going on vacation, color TV, uh, uh, whatever, better this, better that. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not knocking any of those things. But, but what happens is this. There are people in the church today that they get themselves so deeply in debt. They get in credit card debt and they get in all kinds of, uh, of financial debt. And, and you know what the first thing that goes whenever they get in debt like that? A lot of times because they, they've got sidetracked for, by material possessions is the first thing they'll do is they'll start paying their tithe. And, and I found out a long time ago, and just let me be real clear about this, that if you do not faithfully pay your tithe, what will happen is God will come and collect it. And he'll collect it with interest too. This is not a scheme that a pastor or an evangelist or a Christian leader thought up, thought up to get your money in mind. This is God's plan, God's way to bless you, God's way to make you more like him. And the more you are faithful to pay your tithe, the more like God you become. Is that true, Pastor? And God wants us to be more like him. God's not stingy with his blessings, so don't be stingy with what he has blessed you with. 
there was a man that came up to his pastor and he said, Preacher, he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, I can't pay my bills. He said, I can't put food on the table. He said, we've got ourselves in, in, in dire straits in our finances. He said, what do you suggest? The pastor looked at him and he said, well, he said, are you paying your tithe? He said, no, pastor, I'm not being faithful to pay my tithe right now. He said, we've got so much in debt that he said, we've just kind of put that on the back burner right now. And the pastor said, that's part of your problem right there is because you're not paying your tithe. He said, if you will promise God one-tenth of your income and keep that promise, God will get you out of this financial dilemma after a period of time. And that, that man said, well, I tried everything else. He said, I'll try it. He said, right now, because the devil has attacked me so much and taken the work away from me. He said, right now, all I'm making is $100 a week. And he said, so I'll promise God $10 a week. So he got down on his knees and he made that promise to God, $10 a week. Several months later, he came running back to the pastor and he said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. He said, when I started tithing, I was only making $100 a week and my tithe was 10. He said, but now I'm making $1,000 a week and my tithe is as much as what I used to make. But then he said this. He said, but Pastor, isn't that a little much to be putting in the offering plate each week? (laughs) He said, isn't there any way I can get out of this? And the pastor thought about that, and he said, well, no. He said, you, you made a promise to God, and you've got to keep that promise. He said, but I'll tell you what we can do. The pastor said, we can get back down on our knees and, and pray and ask God to shrink your income so your tithe won't be so much. He said, no, thank you, Pastor. I think you'll leave it right where it is. Listen, don't rob God. I had a young man come up to me in a revival in Enterprise, Alabama. He said, Preacher, I, he said, I've tried this tithing and it doesn't work for me. I said, well, how long have you been tithing? He said, well, a teenager. He said, for almost, he said, for almost 30 days. I, I, 30 days? Listen, friend, I told him, you can't plant corn one day and have roasted ears the next. You've got to give God time to see that you mean business about this. I found out that it takes as long as six months before you really begin to reap the benefits of tithing. I've heard people say, well, I can't afford to tithe. But friend, if you'll try it for six months, I guarantee you're going to come back and say you can't afford not to because you'll find out it's the best financial insurance you can take out is to be faithful to God in your finances and pay your tithe. If you believe it, give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen? And Judas Iscariot was one of the forerunners of those who tried to rob God. But after he bargained with the devil's crowd for 30 pieces of silver, he soon got fever of the mind and cancer of the heart. He made a deal with the devil, but he wanted to trade back. Judas made a decision that he couldn't live with. He made a deal with the devil, but then he wanted to trade back. But Judas found out something that some of us have not found out yet. Listen carefully. When you make a deal with the devil, he never trades back. He'll break up your home, but he won't put it back together. He'll get you kicked out of school, young person, but he won't help you finish your education. He will destroy your marriage and your home, but he won't put your marriage back together. He will destroy the ministry that God has called you into, but he won't restore you to to right standing with God. He'll destroy friendships, but he won't repair any friendships. You see, the devil is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's the one that makes deals, but he never trades back. Judas Iscariot learned it the hard way. He brought again the 30 pieces of silver. He threw it at the feet of the chief priest, and he said... 
I have sinned. I betrayed innocent blood. Who did Judas take that money and throw it at the feet of? The religious leaders? Was that the right person to come say I've sinned to? Was that the right person? Do you know what was taking place at the very same time that Judas brought that money and threw it at the feet of the chief priest? Jesus was being tried and crucified on an old rugged cross. Judas went to the wrong person to say I've sinned. Because here's what happened. Because Judas went to religious people. How many of you know that in this area, there's a lot of religious people? Let's just be honest about that. There's a lot of religious people. And when you go to the wrong person to say you've sinned, it's going to cause problems for you. You know what the religious people said to to Judas whenever he said, I've sinned? They said, we don't care. See, thou to that, we could care less. You know what Judas did as a result of it? He ran to the field of the Chaldeme. He found a tree and he hanged himself. Like Pilate, like the Jews... Judas made the wrong decision, and he couldn't live with it. Now, at the very same time, again, that Judas brought that money and threw it at the feet of the chief priest and said, I have sinned, at the very same time, Jesus was being tried and then crucified on an old rugged cross. And now think about this for a moment. Let's say it would have turned out like this, Pastor. Let's say that instead of going to those religious leaders to say, I've sinned, instead, what if Judas would have gone to Jesus hanging on that middle cross to say, I've sinned? Judas went to the wrong person to say, I've sinned, and he could have. And oh, how I wish that he would have. I wish that Judas, instead of running to those religious hypocrites to say, I've sinned, I wish that Judas would have ran as fast as his feet would have carried him. He would have climbed up on top of Golgotha's mountain. He would have run to that middle cross. He would have gotten down on his knees at the foot of that middle cross. and would have wrapped his arms around the blood-stained feet of the Son of God where a spike was protruding from his feet. And that there that Judas Iscariot with a heart broken for the sin that he committed would have cried out to Jesus and said, Master, I betrayed you. It was me. Please forgive me if Judas would have done that. You and I know that Jesus, with his dying breath, would have looked down to the face of Judas. He would have said, Judas, I've heard your prayer. I see your tears. I forgive you, Judas. If that would have unfolded like that, Pastor, Judas could be in heaven right now. He could have had his sins forgiven. But it didn't happen that way. And you know why? Because Judas made the wrong decision. Now let's make it real. How many times have we made the wrong decision? When you've chosen to use your time for television when you haven't spent any time in prayer. When you've chosen to use your talents and your abilities and the giftings that God has given to you to draw attention to yourself instead of giving them to God, for God to use them to build his kingdom. There's not anybody in here that's sinless. There's not anybody in here but what every day we all need every day to be down on our knees crying out, Lord Jesus, I've done things and I failed to do things. (laughs) And I've got news for you. Jesus is a whole lot more anxious to forgive you than you are to be forgiven. Judas made the wrong decision, and he couldn't live with it. The Jews made the wrong decision. They couldn't live with it. 
Pilate made the wrong decision, and he couldn't live with it. In these next few moments, if you make the wrong decision, I'm going to ask you, what kind of blood do you have in your veins that you can turn your back on the only one who's done so much for you? Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Open your hearts all over the building. Every head bowed, every eye closed, every heart wide open. If you're in this building tonight, you'd say, Brother Todd, I've been making wrong decisions. <coughs> I know I'm not where I need to be with God. You say, what I'm doing with Jesus right now, as far as my relationship with Him, it's not lining up with the Word of God. It's not lining up with what I need to be for Him. And if you're in this building tonight, you say, I'm here tonight, but I realize that my life is not right with the Lord. You're in this building tonight, you say, I know I'm not in right relationship with God, and the Lord is dealing with me tonight. And I know I need prayer because I realize that I'm not, I'm not really where I need to be with God, but I want to be. What will you do with Jesus tonight? What will you do with him? And if you're here tonight, you say, God's dealing with me because I realize that my life, my heart, is not in a right relationship with God. You say, God's dealing with me. If you're in this building, you say, I know I'm not where I need to be with the Lord, and God's dealing with me right now. Pray for me if that's you. Nobody looking around. Slip your hand up right now if that's you. You'd say, that's me, and God's dealing with me. Because I realize that my heart's not right with God. Pray for me. Lift it up right now. Who else? You'd say, that's me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Who else? you say, that's me. What will you do with Jesus tonight? How many of you sitting here tonight would say, Brother Todd, with regard to what I'm doing with Jesus in my prayer life, I realize that my prayer life's not where it needs to be with God. Slip your hand up right now if that's you. Come on, be honest. Just be honest. And God's going to help you to bring you to the next level. Now put your hands down. How many of you would say, I'm in this building and I realize that what I'm doing with Jesus with regard to my soul winning right now, it's not where it needs to be. Pray for me. Slip your hand up. Come on. You say, I'm not the soul winner that I know that God wants me to be, but I want to get there. Pray for me. Slip your hand up if that's you. Anybody else? A lot of hands. Who else? You say, that's me. You say, what I'm doing with Jesus right now, as far as allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through me, a lot of it perhaps you don't understand, but you're, you would be willing to say, Brother Todd, what I'm doing with Jesus with regard to allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through me, I, I, I'm willing to allow God to, to bring me to the next level with regard to the Holy Spirit flowing in me and through me. Pray for me. Slip your hand up right now all over the building. A lot of hands, a lot of hands. Now here's what I want us to do. I want to begin with those of you that lifted your hand, every one of you that lifted your hand in any area Stand to your feet right now all over the building. I believe the power of the Holy Ghost is going to flow in this altar service. I really felt like by the leading of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit wanted me to get to the altar service right here tonight because this is where the river is flowing right now. And I want you to receive what God has for you. I want to ask for the prayer team, if you will. While you are, that are standing, remain standing, I want to ask for the prayer team, if you will, come line up across the front right here facing out towards the audience, towards the congregation.